Campbell with the Food Institute, and welcome back to the Food Institute podcast. This week, we welcome Karen Chupka with Chupka Consulting, and we will be taking a look at some consumer-facing food technology trends ahead of the CES show. But before we get started, I did want to take a moment here to thank you all for listening in in 2022 and making it so successful. Uh, This being our first podcast of 2023, it just kind of felt right to thank you all for listening in the last year. And I really hope you all have a great year to come. I know the Food Institute has a bunch of really interesting projects on deck in 2023. So make sure you sign up with all of our newsletters at foodinstitute.com slash newsletters to make sure that you're attuned for all of our great content that will be coming out in the new year. So, with all of that out of the way, I did want to welcome Karen to the show. Uh, Karen, welcome. Could you share a little bit more about yourself? Hi, I'm Karen Chupka, and I'm uh, with Chupka Consulting, and I'm here today to talk a little bit about food technology uh, from the perspective of the technology industry. Uh, I spent 33 years at the Consumer Technology Association, and for 20-plus of those years, I ran and oversaw CES, uh, the world's largest technology event. And we really want to thank you for spending some time with us today, Karen. I know a lot of people are really taking a look at CES right now. You know, it'll be just about uh, time for the event to launch when this podcast goes live. So I think what we can kind of open it up with, you know, considering your background, how long you've worked on CES and also just your, uh, you know, experience within the consumer facing technology space. I'm wondering when you think of a typical consumer, what are they really looking for when it comes to a food technology piece? What would you say they're actually looking for? You know, I think so much of that has um, actually rapidly changed, especially due to us coming off of, you know, the, the years with the pandemic. I mean, I think, you know, what we've seen so much adoption on was just on things like something as simple as food delivery systems, but also um, people using, you know, using technology to either do their grocery shopping or to be able to tailor what they were buying from different locations. And I think, you know, that's one of the things that that really just uh, the pandemic, I think, helped make um, make it easier for people to adopt it. And so now it's it's really one of those things that I think is still sticking around, even as, um, you know, a lot of what we're doing now is back to normal, uh, back to what we, you know, what we've been, what we lived and and did uh, prior to COVID. Um, But as a result of that, I think it's also given uh, consumers the desire to want to do more and to um, also look at, you know, what other tools can can help, um, not only just from a food prep standpoint or food delivery standpoint, but also things like um, food waste. And, you know, those are some of the areas where I think technology is really uh, starting to come to play in helping to uh, reduce the amount of food that's wasted, um, uh, you know, over the course of a year. And I think you're right on the money there. You know, we've definitely seen some lasting um, desire from consumers for delivery and other, you know, food ordering platforms. Definitely seeing a lot of interest on the food waste side, both from manufacturers and from consumers as well. But I'm wondering if we take a look at some of the most interesting consumer facing food technologies you've seen over the past few years at CES, what would you say, you know, maybe appliances, um, you know, like you said, some of those delivery platforms, when you see the stuff at CES, what do you think are the most interesting things you've seen over the last couple of years? There's been a lot of interesting things, you know, and I think in in some instances it is somewhat based on some of the appliances that we've seen. So, you know, everything from smart refrigerators that really help consumers know even, you know, what they have or or what they're going to need to buy, um, which, you know, which which is definitely helpful and convenient as as we're all trying to uh, juggle so many things sometimes that, that we don't have time to make those lists like we used to. Um, to also just appliances that are starting to do more for us. And so, you know, I think of one of uh, you know one of the things that came to see us a couple of years ago was the Bartesian, which you know basically is uh, like a Keurig machine for cocktails and really can help um, mix the perfect cocktail. 
And so while sometimes you see some interesting things that are, um, you know, sometimes on the, what, what do I want to say, that, that might not be quite yet ready for consumer application, what you do see is uh, technologies that are going to make their way into appliances and, and things that consumers will bring into their homes. Yeah, and I think the smart fridge is a great example of that. You know, when I first started at the Food Institute in 2015, I believe Samsung came out with one of these, uh, you know, Internet of Things connected smart fridges. I recently was rewatching Modern Family, and they have a whole episode making fun of that type of technology. But I do think, you know, to your point, it was kind of revolutionary. I don't think a lot of consumers were quite ready for it yet, but it does seem that over the last couple of years, you know, people have become more uh, open to installing these types of IoT devices, especially with the rise of Alexa and the other personal assistants. So I'm wondering from your vantage point, do you think that, you know, a lot of these technologies kind of come to the table really quickly? You know, maybe it's a little bit before consumers are ready, but then a show like CES really gives them the exposure they need. And then, you know, over the course of a couple of years, they get the opportunity to actually be installed inside a consumer's home. Do you see that kind of lifespan when it comes to these product innovations? Absolutely. And a lot of times, too, what we see is that, you know, companies will come with an idea that, um, you know, may, maybe they are, they're bringing their product with one specific thought or idea in mind, and then they come to CES and they meet somebody that is, you know, maybe looking for a different type of solution and, and find that solution, um, you know, through a third party. So, you know, one of the unique experiences about CES is that there's over 1,200 startups from all around the world. And, uh, so it is pretty, it happens pretty frequently that someone will come with one thing in mind and then a manufacturer or another, you know, another startup will see it and say, hey, this is really interesting and can help us, you know, solve, solve something that we've been looking to bring to market. And, you know, as I, as I was looking through some of the products that um, are coming to CES this year, one of the things that I, I kind of think is that way is there is a, a sort of a 3D printer that um, allows you to print um, basically 3D and liquids. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where maybe you look at right now and say, hmm, not quite sure exactly how this could be used. I, I mean, I, it could be used, of course, to print a logo in, into something or, uh, you know, something to, uh, in that sense. But I think it will be one of those things that somebody sees and down the road will be, uh, you know, will be somehow uh, uh, changed or included in some other device and, and will come to market in, 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 in even a different way than maybe what it was originally intended. Yeah, I think 3D printers is probably a great place to kind of focus on that idea. You know, a couple of years ago, even five years ago, I think the idea of having like a 3D printed steak probably was very unappetizing to most consumers. <laughs> but now you take a look at the the speed, you know, the sphere. You have plant-based products, so people are already getting a little bit more used to different formulations, you know, plant-based versions of a meat product. But you're even seeing cultured meat products that can also be printed. So I'm wondering from your vantage point, taking a look at that 3D printing item, and maybe we could take this as kind of a case study, but, you know, how it can kind of start off from that material that maybe someone's like, I don't think this is a good idea to, you know, five years later, you're looking at, you know, maybe ubiquity is the wrong word here, but just the fact that consumers are more open to it. Do you see that kind of happening in the food space often? Uh, absolutely. You know, and I think, I, I mean, I think it, it's, it's interesting because even, a, you know, an example of that would be uh, with uh, Impossible Foods came to CES a couple years ago to, you know, reintroduce one of their plant-based products. And that's actually where they, um, you know, met the buyers from Burger King. And that's how, um, that's how uh, the Impossible Burger got into Burger King. And, you know, I think once um, that became 
widespread and, and you know, you're able to access it at any Burger King you go into, then um, suddenly people were trying it and saying, hey, this is something I want to, you know, I, I, I like or I think tastes good or I, you know, I prefer to buy. So, um, you know, I think there's definitely things like that that happen that sometimes um, is, you know, the unique serendipity of what happens at live events and, uh, and kind of how consumers can get the opportunity to adopt these things um, at a faster pace. Yeah, and that Burger King one's a great example, the reverberations, because now you're seeing them open up, you know, completely 100% vegan restaurants in Europe and some places in South America. So it's kind of interesting to see, you know, Impossible Food shows up, makes the connection. And then a couple of years later, you're seeing, you know, these entirely new food service kind of layouts and uh, formats opening too, right? So I think that serendipity point is very, very interesting. It is. And I think it's also, you know, it's also partly too that I think because um, consumers right now are so much more aware of, of, you know, uh, how uh, trying to make the world a better place. Right. And and so being able to offer different types of food products, um, you know, in some of these instances, when you're talking about, you know, the idea of vegan or, or, or having these plant based areas, I mean, um, you know, granted, that's that's great for a city where you're offering different types of people, different um, options for food. Right. But when you start looking at some third world countries where they can't produce their own food and they, they there's now these options that can come to them. That's also um, life changing in a lot of experiences, too. So it's really, you know, I think um, also being driven by that fact that we all want a better world and we're all looking at solutions that can help us achieve that. And in some instances, um, you know, the, the technology is, is enabling the food industry to kind of change and, and come up with some new solutions that can do that. And on the manufacturing side, I guess the business side, really, you could say that the Food Institute, we've been tracking, you know, the industry has been very resistant to new technologies, I would say, especially considering, you know, when you compare it to the rest of the industries in the U.S., even globally, it always seemed like food had this reputation for being adverse to those changes. Um, I'm wondering, you know, since the pandemic, have you seen a major shift when it comes to food companies uh, utilizing technology like this? Absolutely. And I think, you know, I think we actually started seeing some of the larger companies starting to to bring that to life, um, you know, especially like in the farming world. So you saw uh, John Deere coming to CES, I think in, in 2019 was their first experience. And, you know, part of what they were showing there is how their tractors um, can enable farmers to grow products uh, better, right, and to harvest products uh, better and to use AI to make sure that they were not wasting water in, in um, you know, in the growing process and things like that. And so we started seeing some of that evolution start happening from, you know, from the, from the farming side of it. But then, you know, it kind of now um, advances more into things like, uh, you know, companies looking like, I think a, a couple of years ago at uh, the Ginny Rometty IBM keynote, uh, she brought uh, somebody on from Walmart who was really talking about how blockchain technology was helping them understand where they were sourcing their lettuce from. And so if there was an issue that came up, um, you know, with regards to having to recall something rather than having to recall all of the lettuce, they can, you know, follow the blockchain and know exactly where they got it from and, and only pull the affected lettuce from the shelves. So I think there's also just some, you know, much more uh, practical answers that we're now seeing that enable companies to want to use technology more. 
And I have a shameless plug here. I recently did a podcast with Christian Winsler from RSM. And one of the points he really made to me that stuck with me, and I'm wondering if you agree, is really the proliferation of all these technologies and how interconnected they are. When you take a look even 10 years ago, you know, a lot of these technologies came out, but they seem to be in a single silo. But now when you're a farmer, you know, you can have automated tractors, you have all of these sensors that are picking up moisture conditions in the soil. And then you also have an AI that's helping you pick out the best times to water, et cetera. So to me, it really seems that the food industry is in a great spot right now because a lot of these technologies have been released and they're starting to be developed to the point that they have some interconnectivity. Uh, and I think it's really showcasing the use cases and also the importance of them. They all seem to really be rising because of that. So I'm just wondering from your vantage point, do you see the same? Do you see that a lot of these technologies have kind of evolved to the point that, you know, it's beyond just the initial, you know, proposed idea of what they could be used for. But, you know, to your point earlier, you said there was a bunch of people that would come to the show, they would connect, they would say, hey, this is a great product and I could use it for this. It seems like that's happening in mass in the food industry. Do you see it the same way? Absolutely. And I think it's because, you know, some of the, and, and I think this is at, you know, we're at the beginning stages of some of these things because, you know, you really think about the fact of artificial intelligence and, and what it could do is, is just kind of um, starting to be realized and starting to be used um, in, in ways that, you know, consumers can, can sort of understand and see where, where it's helping. Right. And I think from a business standpoint, it's, it's also um, showing that it can help, you know, uh, not only, prevent waste and maybe and also in some instances improve your bottom line or like like in the in the case when I was talking about you know something being bad on the shelf um, knowing immediately where you have to pull it and not having to you know pull a bunch of product that that otherwise is good so I think there's definitely been now you know much more um, uh, real world solutions where where people can really say okay this does work and this does make sense for us to make an investment and, and bring into um, you know you know into our companies because it is going to uh, not only improve what we're doing, but also um, make us, you know, make us have less waste product. And one category I'd like to talk about too, which seems to be very, you know, fresh, it's emerging right now, uh, it would be augmented and virtual reality. So obviously they are both a little bit different and I think each has their own use case. But I think from a top level view, when you take a look at these technologies, what would you have to say about them? Do you think they're going to be widely, um, you know, adopted by the public. I know Facebook seems to be having some issues with their virtual reality program, but I know they're not the only one. So I'm wondering from your you know, vantage point, is the hardware there? Is there enough of a use case that the regular consumer would want to use either of these things? How do you see that right now? You know, I think I think um, what we're seeing is um, it, it, it's always interesting because sometimes when technology comes out, it, it definitely comes out with you know one vision in mind, and then as it as it continues to develop and and use cases are you know uh, kind of come into play, then it sort of morphs and and it really changes into something that becomes a little bit different. But I you know absolutely think that these are going to be vital going forward. And you know for instance, one of the companies that is going to be exhibiting at CES is um, Siemens, and what they'll be showcasing is an underwater, uh, underwater farming and biosphere that, um, that they've helped build off the coast of Italy. Um, and what's interesting about this is before they went and, and helped build this, you know, they actually built it in the, the metaverse in a sense because um, you know, they are able to kind of create these um, digital twins of what they want to do and they're able to start assembling it and doing it in the virtual world. And then it makes it so much easier to take, you know, all the lessons they've learned while doing this in the virtual world and then actually making it happen physically. Um, and, you know, that helps with uh, everything from, you know, construction to, you know, what, what are some of the issues that you may try to 
you know, that you may run into in trying to harvest products in some, you know, biosphere that's built uh, underwater. Uh, so there's really an opportunity to kind of, uh, you know, troubleshoot those things before you actually go to production of building that and, and kind of having a sense of what you're going to need to make it happen and to make it successful. And I think those are some of the areas where, we're, you know, we're really starting to see that the metaverse and sort of the virtual worlds are coming um, to life with, with real world uh, business uh, applications. So that's a really great example, because at least in my research, you know, when you think about it, it seems really difficult for the food industry to utilize virtual reality in an effective way. I know that we've seen, you know, Chipotle did a Roblox takeover and created a digital restaurant that you could order in. And I think that's cool in and of itself. But, you know, I'm not so sure that people are going to be turning to a digital space when they're looking to eat food specifically. Right. But I think the augmented reality part is really interesting from a consumer level when they're shopping, be it, you know, smart glasses or any other kind of uh, framework where they could get a heads up display when they're looking at items. So I'm wondering if we could talk a little bit about the augmented aspect. Do you have anything you could share on that? Yeah, actually, there's, um, again, another company that is uh, that is exhibiting is actually uh, called its vegetable scanner by and, and the company's one third. And basically, you know, you can take your, your phone and sort of scan um, the vegetables and it kind of gives you a sense of what the shelf life is of that vegetable. And, um, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm always bad at picking vegetables in the grocery store. Right. And so having something that sort of gives you as a consumer, you know, some some idea that, OK, this this piece, you know, this piece of fruit that I want to use tomorrow is going to be good tomorrow. Um, or it may be this piece of fruit I need to use in three days is still going to be good in three days. And uh, so I think that's kind of an interesting area where you take, you know, that augmented reality and then, um, you know, some AI applications and really brings it to something that could be used by a consumer. So I don't mean to brag too much, but in a past life, I was a produce stock boy. So personally, I'd be pretty good at it. But <laughs> telling you how many people came up to me asking me, hey, is this cantaloupe good? I could definitely see the use case for an augmented reality kind of setup where people are able to take a look at those products and say, hey, this is going to fit into, you know, what recipes I'm making this week. And I think you also brought up the food waste aspect as well, right? Saving a little bit money in this inflationary environment by not wasting products. You know, I think there's a lot of opportunity there, really, uh, and even marketing aspects too inside of retail you know, premises to have the heads up display show, hey, you know, 50 cents off this product here uh, when you get into, you know, close proximity to it. It just seems like there are so many opportunities uh, in the augmented space when it comes to in-person retail. Absolutely. And, I, and even sometimes, you know, it's it's interesting because I'm, uh, you know, I'm the person that also walks through that grocery store and there's an interesting, you know, maybe it's an interesting piece of fruit or something that I really like, but I don't really know what to prepare with it, right, or, or how to make it. And so even that simple, like you said, sort of a display that would say, hey, you know, you can you can make this dish and here are the other four ingredients you need, you know, would, would be something that would make me want to buy that piece of fruit maybe and, and try it um, versus saying, eh, you know, I'll buy it, I'll forget to look up on a recipe and then it'll go bad, right? So um, kind of also, uh, you know, giving the consumers the opportunity to really take advantage of things that are in season and and fresh and ripe. And one last thing I'd like to take a look at, too, is just payment technologies. I know that we've seen the advent of digital wallets, all sorts of different types of credit cards, buy now, pay later services. It just seems like the modern consumer has so many different ways to pay for products. And I'm wondering if there's anything you've seen on the payment side when it comes to technology that could be something of a game changer in the years to come. You know, I, I think it's I, I mean, I think it's actually interesting how, how much we sort of leapfrogged to just, um, in a sense, digital payments. Right. I mean, when I think about 
again, like prior, you know, prior to the pandemic, um, that was definitely something that was an in-store experience. And then, you know, pretty quickly, your local farmers market, everybody had the ability to start taking credit cards and being able to, um, you know, process financial transactions um, digitally. And that I think is, you know, just just really amazing. And you know, in a sense, also brings it or makes it easier for even some um, smaller. Um, you know, uh, farmers and or, or food producers to be able to bring something to market too. So I think some of that will probably continue um, developing like through through blockchain technologies in a sense that help, help um, especially some of the larger companies, maybe find some closer, uh, you know, places to source some of their food products and, uh, and maybe some of the smaller, uh, you know, farmers and or, and or producers that maybe wouldn't be able to get into those stores otherwise um, will now have an opportunity to do that. Yeah, it's really interesting. I recently stopped by Chipotle and the manager basically told everybody in line that if we didn't have a credit card, they wouldn't be able to accept anything because they didn't have change. And I think that's one of the major things you've seen, you know, obviously from the pandemic, there was a whole coin shortage, but really has been this shift. You know, some places do offer a cash discount, but in general, you're really seeing that adoption of the digital payment just across the board. And to your point, even going to a local farmer's market, you know, everyone has the, you know, mobile POS system. They're able to connect via their phone whatever they're using to get connected, but they have that, you know, ease of use. And I think that's becoming more and more important, especially as a lot of consumers in this inflationary period are really looking to credit cards, rewards cards, memberships, you know, loyalty programs, and you need to have that kind of digital connection if you're going to engage in those successfully as a company, right? Absolutely. And, you know, and also it's, it's really interesting because it's also, especially here in the United States, you know, I feel like it's really um, made us uh, advance the, you know, the use of things like Apple Pay and Google Pay. I mean, I think, you know, when you were in, anytime I visited, uh, you know, Asia, the, the fact that pretty much people were able to use their phones to do everything, every transaction was just, you know, absolutely amazing. And now we're starting to, to do more of that here in the United States, which is, um, you know, also nice because, it, especially, you know, I, I use the example of the farmer's market where I'm carrying groceries and everything else. And then so to have to try to then pull a wallet out and find my credit card or whatever, whereas instead I could just tap it with my phone and move on. That's just, you know, a convenience that makes it easier for me to want to stay and buy more product. So before we close up, Karen, I did want to give you the opportunity to kind of take a look into the future. One of my favorite things to do is to kind of take a look in that crystal ball, try to take an idea and get an idea of what's coming down the pipeline. When you take a look at all of these different technologies that are emerging, what do you think is like the most ready for mass adoption that hasn't been yet? Is there any technology specifically you think that the food industry could really leverage that they currently aren't? You know, I think there's probably, you know, a, a couple things that just even seeing a, a little bit of what, what's coming up, you know, at, at the show, um, it, you know, in, in the coming days. And I think, you know, some of that has to do again with this with this idea that consumers are really wanting to um, do a little bit more on their own. So, so you know, there is a, a company that's showcasing like how can, how consumers can grow their own food. And so I think that there may be some opportunities there, um, you know, for for grocery stores and chains to start thinking about how you know, how maybe they can help consumers do that and, and how maybe they can help advise consumers in some of those um, instances, because there does seem to be, um, you know, some desire for people to want to make their want to make their own food, grow their own food, know exactly where something's come from. And, you know, I think this um, whole idea of, of just sustainability that's, you know, also being driven by the fact that the, the prices of everything are rising 
is also going to be you know an important trend to look at how technology can help you help the consumers know that the food that they're buying is is still good even though maybe it doesn't look um, you know maybe it looks like it's a it's got a shorter shelf life or whatever and I think those are some definitely opportunities that um, could be looked at that would help um, you know help everybody uh, you know from the from the retailer to the consumer and 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 then at the end of the day the planet right so I think those are those are some interesting uh, opportunities so Karen I want to thank you again for your time today we definitely jumped about so many different topics and I know there will be a bunch of stuff coming out of CES but I'm wondering if anybody in the audience wants to learn a little bit more about you and what you do where can they go uh, actually, yeah, they can follow me on LinkedIn and it's just my name, Karen Chupka and at Twitter in the same way, Karen Chupka. And, uh, that's, uh, that's probably the easiest way to follow me and, um, and definitely, you know, check out ces.tech to see some of the great technologies that will be showcased. And we'll definitely share the links in the description of this episode. Once again, Karen, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. And it was great talking with you. So that's going to bring us to the end of this edition of the Food Institute podcast. Major thanks to Karen once again for sharing her insights ahead of the CES show. I do want to remind everybody to go to foodinstitute.com slash newsletter so that you can take a look at all of the different newsletters we offer. Make sure you sign up for them so you can stay up to date with the latest Food Institute content. Like I said, that'll do it for us this time. We'll catch you next time. This is Chris Campbell signing off. (music) 